0: Chatbot GPT, the sensational open eye tool launched in November, has taken the world by storm, finding itself being used by hordes of developers, bloggers, law school students, and everyday professionals. But as with other emerging technologies, Chatbot GPT creates a number of unresolved IP issues that are tricky and entail challenges that can ensnare the unsuspecting user and perhaps the owners and developers of the technology themselves. Now, to give us a sense of the legal landmines, I am delighted to welcome back to the show Stu Levy, a partner at Skadden Arps who works at the forefront of the issues and who will be giving us a preview of what's on the horizon as the next generation of AI is poised to reshape how we communicate, how we learn, and in many ways, our very understanding of property. You talk about people you don't even know.
1: Talk about places. You never go. Dude, thanks you talk so much for joining the show again. Girl. Chris, thanks for having me. It's such a uh, always great to talk to you. This is such a great topic, um, really interesting. And you know, I find sometimes, you know, we as lawyers try to you know look for and create issues maybe where, where they're not really there, you know, new, new things. But this is not one of those. This is one where there really are some new, unique issues um, that I think are going to take a lot of uh, academics and practicing lawyers and companies a little bit back to the drawing board. Um, thinking about how IP and technology intersects.
0: Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, these kinds of issues that really sort of question fundamental concepts of, you know, these building blocks of, of law and policy and technology, super interesting stuff. But before I get to all of the law and technology issues, just at a personal level, I mean, I assume you've, you know, uh, fiddled a little bit with chatbot GPT, I mean, the
1: first time you use it what was your impression i mean like did, did you like it so, so it's interesting i think i had the the same reaction um that a lot of folks did so what i typed in the first you know so you sit there thinking like well what do i want to type in so i typed i think i typed in you know we have a big uh, nft non-fungible token nft practice here at scadden so i think i typed in you know you know tell me about the scadden nft practice or something like that and and the, what I meant by having the same reaction as as other folks is it, it was impressive what came back, but it but it there felt like something off. Like it felt a little bit canned. It felt it felt a little bit like someone had gone out, pulled snippets, put them together again. Very impressive how it got to the end product. Um, but if you if I didn't tell you how I drafted that, and I said to someone, "Hey, I wrote this up about our NFT practice, What do you think?" People would think like. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little stilted. It's like we, like kind of weirdly structured and phrased. Um, felt like you know you could have swapped in NFT and Scat and you know with different, different areas and, and different companies and kind of gotten a similar thing. So impressive in in a lot of ways, but again, I think people are feeling this a little bit off. Uh, uh, so
0: so so not quite there to sort of replace all the work of law firms.
1: Not not there to place order law firms, but I think more importantly, and I guess, you know, this is what, you know, the press has picked up a lot, the media has picked up a lot, is, but are people going to try to use it, none, not appreciating that, um, you know, not just for fun, but to try to gather information as inputs into something that they might then, you know, create a theory about or write about or, you know, use, use as facts and you know, I think that's a little bit more where the, you know, the real world, you know, putting the other side the legal issues, I think the real world concern is, you know, not doing something fun, but I ask about, you know, what's the history of X? And I get something back and think like, oh, well, given that, you know, I've got an interesting theory. Turns out that's wrong, you know, or slightly wrong or wrong enough that my theory is now wrong. I think until we get to a point and where things are curated better and have citations, you know, we run, we run that risk a little bit.
0: Okay, well, then let's let's sort of pivot a little bit then, you know, out of the fun and into the law. Actually, this is a really, really fun law, a really interesting law. Um, and, you know, you, you we sort of already have gotten into this issue that lots of very interesting issues are being raised uh, from an IP perspective. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, can you maybe categorize or, or kind of walk us through some of the major uh, possible landmines?
1: Sure. Great, great question, Chris. And we've been talking about this um, in recent weeks a lot in our group. Um, and there are a lot of different ways you can parse the issues. You can look at the kinds of claims you might have. You can talk about who might be the potential defendants. Um, you can talk about sort of at what level of the ecosystem these things all come together. Um, so maybe, let's start with the first uh, piece, which is I'm a developer and I write some AI code, and that AI code can, you know, as we've seen with you know chat GPD as an example, um, generate some outputs. So the question was, have I done anything wrong, right? I've just created this, this program. Um, and let's put on the shelf for a minute the issue of how did I train my AI tool to work? Because that's, I think, a separate piece. So we have you know good case law, including at the Supreme Court level, about creating a tool that people can potentially use for inf- creating infringing works. We have um, MGM v Grokster, uh, which, you know, talking about the use of creating a platform where people can potentially infringe on music. Uh, we have, going back now a number of years, the, the Sony Betamax case. Um, you know, we, we, we took for, <laughs> those things seem now, you know, quaint and antiquated. It was a time when everyone was using one. Um, but wait, if I, if you're selling me a machine that I can copy... Copyrighted works off of my television? Like, are you giving me a tool to create infringing works? So we've got we've got case law that that exists there, but I think there's still some interesting issues about did the developer creating this program do anything wrong? And what's interesting here is that, you know, if you look at the Sony case, good example, there was no dispute that the end product was a replica of the original. Like that was the whole point of it, right? I can't be home tonight to watch the game. I'm going to tape the game, put it on my my uh, my Betamax uh, cassette, watch it later. Uh, you know, here, I think mean, there'll be a lot of interesting issues about, well, but there's, you know, not nece- the end product isn't necessarily infringing, right? It could be the whole idea I think behind it is, you know, you create something entirely new um, using this artificial intelligence. You think like a person doing original creative work, but you're definitely Going to have a lot of infringing works, so really interesting question there about whether the program itself is you know just right out of out of the box, so to speak, infringing.
0: You well, know, you know that that reminds me of like hip hop when sampling came around. It's like when you would take a sample, you know, mix it up. You know, is this the same as the original song or
1: or or not? Yeah, no, I, I exactly. So we've got that interesting issue there. Um, but there is an added layer that makes, um, this sort of, you know, a unique area. Um, and that's why this area is, I think going to be so interesting and really raise some new and novel issues that I think ultimately will take some court decisions to provide some, you know, guardrails. Cause I'm not sure any of the precedent out there, you know, really works so perfectly. So the other area is okay, but that's not, re- so you didn't really describe it so accurately. Cause like, I don't just write a program. I had to train this program on millions and millions and millions of copyrighted input in order for my AI program to learn. So is that step now infringing on all the works of the people whose works I ingested? And we've got some good case law there, but not, you know, not great case law in terms of being on point in that there's the perfect 10 case. There's some, you know, Google cases where ingesting works or taking works in order to create an index maybe not copyright infringement in many cases like i create a whole bunch of thumbnails um so there's there's an idea that you can scrape in copyrighted content for a purpose and not be infringing but that's not this like here i'm taking in the copyrighted works to train something to potentially create works that infringe your work and so I think it, you know. Well, we'll take a court decision or two to say is the training material the copyrighted training material taking that, putting it into the machine either to train it, or in the future because there's a program out there and I can put in any inputs. I can take these hundred thousand paintings. I can take these million articles. You know, I'm the one who can decide what gets input. Um, Am I using those copyrighted works in a way that's copyright infringement? Um, I think that in itself is a whole interesting you know, uh, area we're going to we're going to see. And then finally, I'm going to pivot to the last group, which I think is also super, super interesting, which is the end user. So the end user uses this program innocently enough and creates an infringing work. Let's assume for a moment no one's really debating whether that work that I created is infringing. Right? If it's not infringing, we have a whole you know different argument. Then that's to me no different from any case where I say my work's not similar to your work. I created something new. Let's assume the work is similar, the work would be infringing, and the original copyright owner sues me for creating, and maybe like I'm selling now online a digital work. Copyright owner says, wait a second, that's that's my digital work. I say, Oh, really? Interesting. You know, I, I just ran it through this you know, program, this AI program, and it created it. So you as the copyright owner say, well, I don't care how you did it. It's infringed. That's my work. You copied. But there's one interesting twist here, which is that one of the key elements the copyright owner needs to prove to sustain an infringement action is access and substantial similarity. So in my example, we have substantial similarity. Anyone looking at the two works says, "That's interesting. Yeah, those look pretty similar to me." Um, but my defense is access, and I say, "If it's you know, Chris, you're the artist. Chris, you're, you know, I never saw your work. Chris, I don't even know you're an artist. I, I never, I didn't even know who you are, and so I didn't have access. I independently created this work, and there's very little case law, although that's you know a key element of of copyright infringement." There's very little case law in that area, not surprisingly, because independently creating a work that looks like someone else's, you know, sounds easy, but isn't so easy. So there are a couple of cases in the music industry um, where someone created a you know, piece of music, wrote a piece of music, plaintiff comes along and says, wait a second, that's my song, and my defense is, you're kidding. Never heard it on the radio, didn't know you're out there in California and had this song. I live in New York was sitting around my band one day. Here's all the evidence of how we created it. Never even heard your song. And, you know, it's hard. It's a hard defense to sustain, but it's a defense here. Come along and say, Chris, you're kidding. I didn't know about it. And you're like, well, my my drawing got input into this, you know, um, AI program, and that's what created it. So you kind of had access to my work by using the program. And I'm not so sure, Court, Buys that argument, right? A court might say, well, access means like I saw it, I heard it, you know, I, I, in there, I, therefore I copied it. That's why I'm infringing. Here, I'm like, I didn't even know that was out there in the world. And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, what's so fascinating is where you have your inputs, and I guess certain data elements from those inputs are trained and they go through the magic grinder and then they are sort of spit out, even if it looks unrecognizable in this new output, or is it strewn together in a new or interesting way, there are still some of those original data elements. And if some of those original data elements in their collectivity were subject to copyright protections, what happens and at what point should copyright law give way to or protect some of the original work that some of the original creators may have been involved in? I mean, that's a really interesting and tough question.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. The whole chat GPT issue and discussion that um, has generated came really close on the heels of of a slightly different but related issue, which is can you copyright an AI generated work? And um, the Copyright Office so far has taken the position of no, you need human input, human creativity. And there are two cases like that. There was a case a few years ago um, that got a lot of you know popular media attention, where some uh, I think it was was a photographer had left his camera out and was working, I I guess, sort of um, in the jungle, and some monkey activated the camera and took a selfie. One of the animal rights—that's priceless. (laughs) One of the animal rights groups had said, "Well, the monkey took the picture. The monkey's the copyright owner." Um, and that got rejected on the grounds that you know, interesting, but no, you have to have a human who creates something in order to copyright it. You know, doesn't mean the work doesn't exist, doesn't mean it's not creative, doesn't mean a whole bunch of things. But you know, in terms of like, can I register the copyright? No, you have to have a, a, a human do that. And more recently, the Copyright Office also rejected an attempt to register work that was entirely created, a piece of art created entirely by an AI program um with the argument that it has to have some amount you know there has to be some modicum of creativity by human to create something so what's interesting the reason i said they're different you know, related but different is those were cases where people were trying to like you know push the copyright office or tweak the copyright office or make some bigger dramatic point of like machines should be able to own copyrights and the copyright office said yeah no but the flip side issue is Okay, but I'm not trying to I I don't want to say that I want to say the opposite. I want to say, No, no, I created this work. And so now we're looking at that issue from the flip side, which is how much work do I need to input in order for me to argue that's my digital work? I'm now selling. I want to copyright in that if someone infringes, I can go sue them. This is my work that I own. So like the spectrum, I type in one of these programs generate a piece of art create some art and i now say i own the copyright in that is that enough creativity in order for me to get a copyright to sue you if you infringe that work yeah probably not but now i say create a piece of work with a a beach scene with a boat coming in from the left the sun setting two kids you know playing in the sand you know and a mom watching them And I put in all those inputs and I say to the AI program, go generate a piece of art for me, comes up with something and, you know, it's new, unique, right, doesn't replicate anyone else's. Um, You now copy that work. Can I sue you for infringement saying, hey, that's my work. I own that. You defend saying, no, no, you didn't create that. That machine created that. Does a court then say, oh, interesting. No, Stu put in enough creative input Kind of directed what he wanted, had a vision, and that's enough. I, I think those are going to be very fact-intensive cases, but there's a line somewhere. To be well,
0: and, and I guess that's 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 an interesting question. I mean, you know, we keep talking about you know what a court would do if if viewing these issues, right? And you know, there's an enormous amount of uncertainty that when you sit back and think about it, and I'm sure your group is thinking about, it, it really goes to the heart of the commercial applicability and success of chatbot gpt and similar um, technologies i mean, you know what's the process for sorting out these kinds of things is it is it always the courts um are there ways for actors to contract around them um uh, is this something that you predict may require some kind of legislative intervention um where do you think you know the solution toolbox is going to come from
1: so it's a really really good question then i actually i should um also uh, swing back to the NFT question. Um, because I don't think I I yeah. that so the NSA. So it's a good question. Um, you know, you can't contract around some of these issues. In other words, if I said to you, any work that you generate using my program, um, you are the owner of, and you do my uh create piece of art for me. And um, now someone infringes that. You say, "Hey, that's I own that." Um, I say, "No, you don't. The, the AI program generated that. You had zero creative input other than like generate art." I don't think I can go into court and say, "Your Honor," um, or, or say to the infringer and you know get them to back down. No, no. Look at my contract with the you know the terms of use of the AI program it says I own everything. You, you, it's going to come down to well that doesn't you know um, trump the law. So I think there's some things you could probably contract around. You know, you can get rights from the people whose uh, inputs you're ingesting to train the work, and you know, if you have their a license from them to do that, then you know, you don't have to worry about infringing infringement issues. But I do think it's going to come down to you know some court decisions about you know some of these interesting issues you know that get generated. I. Don't think yet we need a legislative solution. I think copyright law has pretty much ridden with the times, you know, kind of well. And you know, courts uh, you know, you rarely see in this area courts saying, Hey, I don't know, this is a legislative, you know, the copyright act doesn't deal with this issue, it's a legislative issue. Until the law changes, nothing we can do here. So I think it's gonna if I had a bet, I think it's gonna be some interesting cases and not a legislative solution until, unless it pivots to an area where everyone's like, okay, we need a law to deal with this issue.
0: With that in mind, then, you know, I did wanna just, again, touch back on that NFT issue. Since our last time that you were here, we went through some of the IP issues with NFTs. I mean, what kind of crossover issues and themes or similarities or differences are you seeing when you jump from something like blockchain
1: crypto NFT questions to uh, AI? Sure. So, um, I think for now, in my view, those circles are still still separate, but they they can come together. The reason I say that is, um, the the analogy people have tried to draw is I created ten thousand NFT project, and I had a computer aid me in assembling those and sort of picking different elements. So the way this comes up is, um, I create a baseline image of foundation, and then I create different attributes and elements. There's 50 million combinations. I don't want 50 million NFTs. I run it through a program that randomly picks different elements and stops when it gets to 10,000. Some have argued, okay, well, you can't own the copyright in that because the computer created it for you. You know, that gets back to what if a computer just creates something. The reason I think it's, it's a really different use case is that there, it's not like, you know, I typed into chat GPT or something, you know, Stable Diffusion or some other, um, you know, kind of program, create a 10,000 profile picture NFT project for me, you know, boom, do whatever you want, or, you know, using animals, using people, using cartoons, whatever, and it creates something. With almost every NFT project, you did have an artist create the foundation, draw the different elements, color some of them, maybe not all of them, and then provide the program with direction on how to put those pieces together. In other words, it's not here's the base, here's the elements, go at it. It's here's the base. Here's 75 different hats the base might wear. Always put the hat you know on top, not anywhere you want. He, you know, Here's 80 different glasses. Don't put the glasses anywhere you want. Glasses have to go where the eyes are. So I think there's an I think one could argue convincingly there's enough creative human input there that it's hard to say, well, a computer just generated those, you know, I think people might you know differ on that analysis, but I think you have the much stronger argument that there's the modicum of human creativity, where I just have the computer aiding me, I could have this is, you know, an analogy I've been using uh, with some folks in our group. Imagine if um, I took all these elements, I put them in big buckets on my dining room table, Close my eyes and I just randomly, you know, picked different elements, clearly you'd say, Well, okay, but I still did it. Now my arm gets tired, you know, I have my buddy build some mechanical device that, you know, picks them out of the hat for me. Still feels like that's me. To me, using the computer program is, you know, one more step, but I still feel it's enough human creativity where the computer is just, you know, saving me time from picking out the elements with my hand.
0: Good. Well, you know, one of the, the 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 lessons, and I guess we'll just um, sort of wrap it up with this big sort of warning that you had, at least from the from the NFT space, right? Which was to kind of be careful about what you buy, and make sure that you understand what are your rights if you are buying an NFT. What are your 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 rights to the original underlying IP and the like? I mean, you know, should people be careful or aware or, or, or um, cautious about um, certain things when, when, when using uh, chatbot gpt right now given this uncertainty
1: yeah no i i think i think for sure yes um here and here's why i think so far people have even using you know it for fun you know my example of you know telling about the scad and nft you know department uh, practice or you know, show their friends like, hey, can you tell you know if I wrote this or ChatGPT wrote this? Um, and then there are plenty of stories about you know bad actors trying to uh, pass off you know a, a term paper or anything you know as their own. Um, you know, in schools being worried about that, um, scientific publications being nervous about that. Um, but I don't think we quite are there yet. Although we'll get there quickly, where I run the program. Create a work that I now commercialize. And I think the warning to folks is it's still not so clear that if I, you know, let's use a piece of art, because I think people can visualize, literally visualize that the best. I create this piece of art and I think, like, whoa, this is really cool looking. I'm going to go out and sell this, um, you know, create a website and say, Stu Levy Digital Art. I, I've, you know, I got to be careful that someone's going to come out there and say, wait a second, for those works, are you know very similar to mine, and you know one thing we didn't talk about is imagine if I said Chris, I know you're an artist. I really like your style. I want to be like you, and I say create a sunset scene in the style of Chris Brummer, and um, you know that's what the Stable Diffusion litigation that got filed recently is all about the in the style of cases. Um, but even about you know if I did that, probably riskier. But even if I didn't do that. Um, you know, don't assume that, well, I used a program to create it. I'm sure it doesn't infringe. Therefore, I'm sure it doesn't infringe anyone's work. No one's coming after me. I'm going to start selling this stuff. You know, again, we talked about the fact that I can say I never saw this person's work. I never have access. I created it independently, but not so clear. You know, you have to tread carefully if you're going to commercialize stuff in this space.
0: Stu, wise words as always. Thank you so much, man, for joining us. This is super interesting. And uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back on to pick your brain on all of the other litigation uh, and and other questions clearly that will be on the horizon.
1: Yeah, no, Chris, really good to talk to you. And I do think you know in the coming months, we're going to see a bunch of uh, litigation and start to get uh, some guardrails or parameters around this space.
0: The old phrase, what's old is new, carries a new meaning in the world of AI and machine learning, which I guess is appropriate. After all, by taking old material and training it, you can create new outputs and deploy them in new ways. Now, the question once again arises as to whether or not the law can keep up with a technology that is envisioned to do more than just recycle, but to quite literally create new innovative outputs. And my sense is, as is too often the case... It depends. Stu seems ultimately to suggest that there will clearly be some bumps along the way as key questions get rolled out, but he's ultimately an optimist with the sense that courts will, like nature in Jurassic Park, find a way. Personally, I'm not quite so sure. Courts tend to have to decide cases based on weird or bad facts, creating all kinds of risks where litigation is a primary source of policy. That said, there is certainly some law out there with which to craft judgments enough to perhaps do the job. But clearly, in some instances, they may not be working with much. So let's just hope that our judicial system will be up for the challenge of making new law out of old cases. If they can't, Chatbot GPT will certainly take a crack at it. If not now, then perhaps in the not so distant future. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.